Hello, everybody. My name is Jackson McMurray, and welcome back to the number one kaiju discourse podcast on the internet. If I have to debate the me of kaiju <laughs> with you this whole episode, I'm literally going to leave. I'm going to turn off Discord, and I'm going to throw my microphone out the window. What's your name? Uh, I don't know anymore. My name's Adeline, and uh, <laughs> the peach from... <laughs> James and the Giant Peach is not a kaiju. It is. It is a kaiju. It's not. Uh, I'm Elon Hernandez, and at the moment, <laughs> the peach seems like a kaiju to me. Yeah, uh-huh. Seems like a kaiju to him, because guess it's what it is? Not, it's not a kaiju! Anyway, this is No Nerds Allowed. And Jackson doesn't know what a kaiju is. <laughs> Let's just say, as of right now, let's just get this out of the way, so we can just have this whole discussion right at the top, and we don't have to touch it for the rest of the movie. Oh my god. We're not going to make a decision here on this episode. We're just going to present our arguments, we're going to have a back and forth, and then we'll just move on. I literally cannot express how much I don't want to have this conversation, because I think we have this conversation every time our group of friends hangs out, yeah. and it goes the same way yeah. every single time. We just want to bring the listeners into it. Just I'm bring in them an into endless our warm, hellscape. Or a warm embrace. I'm going to this go first. I'm just going to present my opinion, and you can you can rebut, and then we'll just move forward as friends. How's that sound? No. I'm not yes-handing you. I'm... <laughs> absolutely nodding you. You just, oh, you just want to not do that? We, we can do Do you want to start it. the podcast over? What do you want, Adeline? Fine, let's do it. We've also definitely already talked about it on the podcast. I think we, we did. Do. I think we talked about it in the High Train Your Dragon episode, also with no, Elin. We, no, mm-hmm. we talked about the Power Rangers with Tabby. We've definitely had it more than once. <laughs> We've definitely had this conversation so many times in my whole life. <laughs> I say that the peach from James and the Giant Peach is a kaiju. Because, it's not. But it's Adeline not says a that it's sentient being. But Adeline says it that is, it's not because more a kaiju can only be one singular being. It can't be made up of multiple beings. And it's because it's... First of all, the seagulls are not a hive mind. The peach itself, which is the big thing, does not have a consciousness. If you eat a peach, you're not murdering a peach. Because that's not how that works, this Jackson. This is the weirdest argument to present right out the gate, but fine, whatever. And these because are this our... is where we always go. <laughs> this is what always happens. But anyway, that's our kaiju discourse. That's our traditional kaiju discourse for this kaiju movie. Um, Every single day of my life, this now, is my endless torture. Now when it comes back up again, as it will, uh, the listeners will be fully in the know. <laughs> that's how this goes. Uh, hey, Elin and Adeline, both of you. Yes. How do you feel about uh, Godzilla, the king of the monsters? It wants to be, like, super relevant to, like, anything. Right. And it's not. (laughs) Hmm. I watched it again last night, uh, the first time since I saw it in theaters during the summer. Right. Um, I don't know, because I was such a fan of the first Godzilla, and I loved uh, the grounded nature and the vibe it was going for right um and while i do think there was some of that that carried over to this one it just it just overall wasn't as resonant as it could have been 
Yeah. No, I still haven't seen the original one. It's one of those movies that, like, has kind of a cult following now. Like, when it came out, like, nobody was really super excited about it. But since then, people have been like, oh, yeah, first Godzilla rules. And I haven't Mm -hmm. gone back and seen it That was the one in 2014, right? Yeah, the Gareth Edwards Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. The man who went on to direct Star Wars Rogue One. The best Star Wars movie, according to everyone. Um... I did see Kong Skull Island, though, and I really liked Kong Skull Island. Man, they talked about King Kong so much in this movie (laughs) for him to not even be on screen for, like, a frame. There's a cave drawing. That's pretty tight. Of him. Well, because... Okay, so... Next movie is Godzilla vs. King Kong. We all know they yelled it at you during the end credits scene. (laughs) Yes, that's what end credits scenes are for. Yeah, they're screaming at you that the next movie is King Kong versus Godzilla. But um, unless King Kong can suddenly shoot nukes out of his pecs, I think Godzilla's <laughs> gonna win. Yeah, it seems like, like King Kong is gonna get his fucking asshole destroyed by Godzilla. Yeah, this is like when like elementary schoolers are on the playground and they're like, "Oh, this, oh, who could beat Superman?" It's like the answer is no one because <laughs> you wrote a character that doesn't have any weaknesses. Here's the thing, though. But much like this discussion, Batman very often beats Superman's in fights because of his superior intelligence. Maybe in the years since the events of Kong Skull Island, Mr. Kong himself has become so intelligent that he's invented weapons and he can strategize and he can like lure Godzilla into a trap and kick him a whole bunch with his big powerful thighs. I bet that happens. Yeah, (laughs) using, utilizing his big powerful thighs, not with it, but just that's part of it. No, but I I see the (laughs) I see I see that point because like if you think about it, just on paper, it seems like uh, Godzilla has sort of um, faced his most formidable opponent, uh, Ghidorah, (laughs) before, and then he's just like kind of downgraded into Kong in a way on paper. Right now, there's still a chance that like. It could be like you're suggesting, and that would be pretty cool. But we we just won't really we won't really know until we see it, I guess. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the point is, is doing? like they've got to find some way to, when they're writing this movie to make it interesting. Because like even in those two movies, Kong isn't like nearly as big as Godzilla. He's no, like he's half not. the size of Godzilla. So he somehow is a very they've got a small kaiju. Yeah, they've got to find some way to make this work, and I trust that they will. It might be some like lazy bullshit thing, like they're just like, uh, he grew. And I would be okay with that. He, he big now. <laughs> he got big. <laughs> but the, the the radiation from Godzilla made all the uh, kaiju yes. get bigger. The kaiju blast that Ghidorah sent out made him twice as uh, buff. And also, uh, he was he working ate out. The corpse of Mothra and got and gained <laughs> her powers. Uh, wait, did Mothra die in this? I thought she definitely. Yeah, did. she did. Oh yeah. fuck! I forgot about that. Already. Yeah. I just watched yeah. it earlier today, but, and I already so forgot weird. that Mothra died. Well, because Mothra... Spoilers. End of the movie. Mothra stabs uh, Fire Ridley from Super Smash Brothers. Rodan? Rodan. And it, he, he's like, oh, I've been stabbed, and he falls off the building. And then Mothra dies on top of the building. And you're like, oh, an eye for an eye. They both died. But then Rodan is at the end of the movie bowing to Godzilla. So it's like, wow, right. she died for no reason. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the first thing that I want to make a note of in this movie 
is the fact that the plot kind of just sucks in every possible way. Yeah, it's, we're just running around looking at monsters until the big monster fight. Right. and But the thing about the big monster fights is that they fucking kick ass. They're very cool. Yeah. So it's like, basically, there was literally... <laughs> I, this is the second time that I've seen it. There was literally a moment near the end where, like, after Ken Watanabe blows himself up and revives Godzilla, there's, like, 15 minutes of bullshit before you get to the big fight at the end. I yeah, just, I just fast forwarded through it. I was just like, yeah. "No, I don't care about this. I'm just gonna get to the good part." <laughs> well, it's my my two biggest problems of the beginning of this movie is why are you taking your teenage daughter to all of these super secret laboratories and stuff? Like, <laughs> right. why is Billy Bobby Brown even like along for the ride? Like, why is she even in this situation? Because she has a strained relationship because of divorce. Wow. Which is a, a powerful facet of modern life, Adeline, and I think you need to be more sensitive. No, to that. why would you take your daughter to work with you? But if your work <laughs> was to wrestle a bear, why would you take your daughter with you? Because she's desperate. I just for don't approval. understand why Millie Bobby Brown is here, like That's just fair. like right next to her mom the whole movie. And I also hate the dad character. So much. He is the most boring, milquetoast, video game protagonist, like, on the planet. And it's so it's funny like, because, like, the writing is so, like, ham-fisted. Like, I could just totally see. It's like, okay, we need a guy who, like, wants to kill the kaiju. Why does he want to do that? Um, the kaiju killed his brother. Yeah, <laughs> It's just, like, the first thing you think of. Like, literally, he has a drinking problem, he's divorced, yep. he has a strange relationship with his daughter. It's every single video game protagonist that you don't care about. <laughs> like, it's just, he's the worst, he's always yelling at his wife and calling her an idiot when she's... This movie hates Emma so much. This movie <laughs> hates her, and I don't understand why. Because, first of all, she's kind of right. Second of all, before she's, like, the quote-unquote villain... Like, the movie's still mean to her before that. And before that, you're like, why? He's like, oh, this isn't the first time she's put work before family before. She should be home cooking in the kitchen for me while I dress up like a bear with my children. It's just so, like, I don't know why this movie hates her so much. It's like, yeah, she probably put work before family because her work is trying to save the world from giant monsters that killed her son. Like, why are you mad at her about that? I mean, I don't think... I mean, I don't know. At least for me, it felt like the movie was kind of equally shitting on both of those parents. It feels like neither of them came off as very sympathetic in this story. Well, I... Because I'd say I hate the father character, but I feel I felt like the movie wanted me to like him. Like, you know, like, he always seemed to be very much, like, in the right... Even at the beginning, where he's like, why don't we just shoot all the kaiju? Like, he still, like, seems like... He still seems like the protagonist, you know? Right. But Even yeah, if like, he's a lame protagonist. Yeah. Like, the conflict is so weird, though. Because right at the very beginning, Ken Watanabe is just like, oh, I think we need to find a way to... We need to just let these kaiju live and find a way to coexist with them. And then they're like, well, you want them to be our pets? It's like, no, we will be their pets. Everyone's like, oh, that's so crazy. And then, like, they just kind of work towards that. And then Vera Farmiga, or Emma... It's just like, I want to do 
also that. And everyone's like, <gasps> no. You bitch. <laughs> like, it's just, it's exactly the same thing. I don't understand what the ideological yeah. difference between those two ideas is. I literally, I literally wrote down all of the things that could happen. So it's, monsters will wake up if we don't do anything and destroy everybody. It's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> if we kill them all, we're just going to destroy the planet because humans suck. Uh, if the governments take control of the monsters, we're mega in trouble because the governments are evil. And it's like, so the, so like, there's no good solution. Like, Emma is right. Like, all of the options suck. Hers is the best option. Yeah. Well, I guess, Where only some people die instead of all the other scenarios where everybody dies. Right. What are your thoughts, Elon? Well, I mean... In terms of, like, the whole family story that they tried to have at the center of all this, I just don't think, like, watching it back the second time, for me especially, like, I just was like, we don't, we didn't have enough time or context to, like, really deeply care about it, mm. you know, throughout. Absolutely. Um, like, like, Andrew's death at the beginning doesn't mean as much, because we just don't, like, it's kind of implied that he dies pretty much. And like, but we don't feel we don't have we we weren't given anything to put us on the same emotional uh, plane as the other characters, right? Like, if we would have had something like I kind of thought in my head, like, what if the beginning had sort of played out a little bit like the beginning of A Quiet Place, where you see you experience the build up to a loss, and then you then you're right there with the people who are sort of you know in the wake of that throughout the rest of the movie, dealing with it as they're doing other things. But we didn't really get that. And so we didn't really have a way to understand um, the tension between, like, every member of the family and right. stuff like that. Um, At the same it just seemed time, like, though... Or go ahead. Or I, I don't know. It just seemed like it was something that it felt very thrown together. Um, it, it, we got, like, we got the parts that we needed to kind of understand what was going on, but we weren't given enough to, like, really, like, care about it. Right, like, resonate with the characters. Yeah. At the same time, though, I do like the opening to this movie because it it sort of, like, it opens right up with just Godzilla, you know? Yeah. And it, like, it sort of sets the tone that's, like, this is a really kaiju-forward movie <laughs> as opposed yeah. to, like, the original one, which was a very people-forward movie and Godzilla was also there. It was, like, this one is, like... <laughs> and then Godzilla shows up. <laughs> right, but this one's, like, oh, this movie's, like, about Godzilla for real, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I feel like if they had opened with the family, we would have been... It would have been even more disappointing when the rest of the plot sucked after that, you know? <laughs> it's like... I don't know. It's like they set you up to just be like, here's the big monster. You, you like that. Here's the big yeah. one. Well, it, they either had to choose for it to be, like, a family drama, or they had to choose for it to be a Godzilla movie, and they tried to choose both, but yeah. then ultimately decided that it was a Godzilla movie. Right. And... Maybe you can elaborate on this, Elon, because I still haven't seen it. But that's what the original one was, right? It was, like, very much focused on, like, a group of people, like, in the sort of blast zone of the Godzilla attack. Like, the story didn't, like, follow Godzilla. It was just about these people on the ground in San Francisco, yeah. I mean, yeah, but, like, it was... I think what made it more successful than this one was I think it was trying to show like what is um like what is just like the i don't know the cost of like experiencing something like this 
You know, right. like, I think that... Because, I mean, I, I kind of thought about the fact that, like... I mean, I can relate to these people. I can't really relate to Godzilla, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm not Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, I can't relate to these, like, giant kaiju. What I can relate to is, like, people who are, like... You know, from the people who are, like, on task forces trying to, like, deal with these situations, or just ordinary people who are, like, <laughs> trying to just... I don't know, like, hang on, like, through right. the whole thing. Like, that's... And we kind of... We had a, a common thread. Like, we had a like a, a, a tight group of people that we were sort of following through... I mean, it was kind of... You guess you could say it was kind of convenient that our protagonists were sort of at every point around the world where all these crazy <laughs> kaiju things were happening. But, right. like, at least, like, we had sort of... We had sort of them, and then we had the people around them who were dealing with, you know, these situations... Like I I don't know I just kind of thought it was interesting to see, like how how would it be in real, how would it be in real life if this were to happen? I think that's what they were kind of dedicated to, yeah, um, mm -hmm. to showing. And I think there was some there there was some of that DNA in this other movie, um, but I mean also I, I it's it's kind of not a fair comparison because the first one was a lot more uh, contained. It was more right. about. Obviously, you, you're only dealing with, like, three total kaiju, and this one you're dealing with a lot more. Um, it's a lot more interwoven and a lot more... The scope of it is just a lot bigger um, than the first one. But, like, yeah, I think that... Because, uh, obviously, you had, like... Honestly, you kind of had almost the opposite um, uh, formula. You saw... You have a family at the beginning. You have a father a mother and a and a son and the and both of them work in this like nuclear facility in Japan which is where the first like muto like um comes from right mm -hmm. uh or like originates from and basically the mother dies and we see the loss and then we have that in our heads like all the way through the movie as something that these that the father and the son kind of have to like carry and that kind of strains the relationship a little bit um, and we kind of get to we kind of just get to explore some of that early on, and then have that develop as the more kaiju forward stuff develops. Right. Pretty and much. Yeah. And it's like I, I guess my biggest sort of take on this movie is that like it seems very take. clear. This is my hottest take. It's, uh, hot. Um, <laughs> is that clearly when they were making this movie, they had the attitude of like. We want to make this monster forward. Our biggest emphasis and our biggest point of focus is going to be these giant, spectacular VFX battles. And we're going to mm -hmm. do everything we can to make these really cool. And I think they do a great job at that. But there's a way... But, like, all the, like, plot and human interaction that is around it is just supremely lazy. Um... And I feel like there's a way to make that less important without just doing a bad job at it. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like... I feel like there's a balance where you can say, like, oh... I don't know. Because they just put so much emphasis on that family unit. And I feel mm -hmm. like if they had just not really done that... Because, like, I don't know. Let's say, like, we keep the exact same action sequences, right? Like, Ghidorah in the Antarctic and Godzilla fighting it. Mm -hmm. We don't need any setup for that besides there's some bad guys waking up kaiju. There you go. Um, and then from there, it, it all just sort of plays out by itself, you know. And it's like, 
I, there's just too much around it. And I feel like this could have been, like, a really fun, like, really tight 90-minute movie if they had just <laughs> cut out, like, half the characters and just been okay with the fact that the people's interactions are going to be less impactful. You know, even in, like, a perfect world where it would be really good, maybe. Like, just that there's going to be less of them and it's not going to be quite as much of an emphasis on the movie, you know? Does that make sense, what I'm saying at all? Yeah. Yeah. And I wrote this down at one point, and I think it's when we got to the underwater city where I just wrote, like, there's too many things. Yeah, there's a lot of in things. This movie. And they kind of want you to keep track of all of it, but at the end of the day, it all doesn't matter because it's a Godzilla movie, and it's called Godzilla King of the Monsters. So I know that Godzilla's not dead. I know that he's going <laughs> to fight the big dragon and win. Right. So if you want me to keep track of all this lore that will build into other movies and other franchises, I'm just going to have trouble retaining it because it doesn't matter in the here and now. Right. And, yeah, and I don't know, a lot of this movie, I mean, we could just talk forever about how shitty the plot to this movie is. Yeah, it doesn't um, make any sense. Let's start first with the first big set piece that kicks ass is when they're underwater and they open up the blast shields and they can see Godzilla swimming towards them. Yeah, that's dope. It's so fucking good. Like, just the... Since you've already had that reference of, like, the actual size of him, and then, like, seeing him on... Not on that screen. Like, through that window, being a little bit... Yeah, like, far away. Yeah, like, far away, and he's just, like, he's got those glowing spines, like, coming slowly towards you. It's so scary. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just one of those things that's just, like, so perfectly executed. Like, it gives me goosebumps when I watch that scene. It's just so incredible. The only cool thing about the Milk Toast protagonist man is that I think it's really fun to bring just, like, a regular zoologist into talking about kaiju. Like, I think that was super cool. Like, when he's talking about... Well, in that scene when he starts, like, glowing and she says it's a form of intimidation. It's like a gorilla pounding its chest, which is another (laughs) King Kong reference. But then they, and then later, the guy talks about how the kaiju are moving. He's like, they're moving like a pack because we've established that like he studies wolves. Like that was a cool part of his character. Is right. That he understood. He understands animals. Uh-huh. And kaiju's are just really big animals. Right. There's also there's a really great line. I mean, this writing in this movie sucks, but every once in a while there's a good <laughs> line. Um, where he says they're like trying to figure out what they should do, and they're like thinking about like firing on him, and he says just like. Unless this is a fight you know you can win, you need to stand down. I was like, yeah, yeah I feel that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is Godzilla. <laughs> oh, shit, you're right. Oh, that's Godzilla that we're about to shoot a big gun at. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, let's see. And Honestly, the next thing I have written down... Is the moment when they're in our, they're just they're in Antarctica now? I'm sorry, I'm gonna mm-hmm. take that again because for some reason I can't say the word Antarctica. Antarctica. So now we're in Antarctica, and they're beautiful, <laughs> like doing one their shot. best. Yeah, one take, McMurray. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can ask me to say any one word, and I'll do it on the first try. That's my guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now. Give me a word. Yeah, do it. Tell me a word. I'll say it right the first time. Pineapples. Pineapples. 
Boom. One take, big worry. One take. Anyway, they're in Antarctica, and, like, Ghidra is, like, escaping the iceberg, and they're, like, doing everything they can to stop it. But I just made a note, because this is the thing that I've said a lot, like, is my favorite thing about this movie, is how each of these giant kaiju, like, each have their own sort of signature color mm-hmm. that, like, represents them. Um, and I think this first fight between Godzilla and Ghidorah, like, in Antarctica, is really cool because everything is really deeply blue, mm-hmm. which is, like, Godzilla's color. And everything, even before Ghidorah actually comes out, like, the warning lights that are flashing on the walls are all this really bright yellow. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I'm getting a little bit burpy. Uh, but it's, like, you've got this, like, tremendously just, like, blue scene with, like, these spikes of yellow coming in, almost, like... Like, it's saying, like, this is Godzilla's world, but Ghidorah is, like, trying to usurp it. Like, he's coming in and taking over it, you know? And then right Mm -hmm. afterwards, they do this hard cut to Kyle Chandler, like, sleeping in a bed. But, like, the lighting is all super yellow, and, like, the sky is yellow behind him. As if to say, like, this is Ghidorah's world now. I think that's super cool and smart. I think that first interaction with Dragon Man, what's his name? Ghidorah. Ghidorah. What's interesting about that first fight with Ghidorah is, first of all, it's more action movie people shooting at things that aren't affected by bullets. <laughs> right. They're just on the ground shooting at this three-headed dragon. Like, <laughs> right, which like, is right, regular guns. Yeah, it's like, you guys have fun with that. Uh, but, like, I know this is Godzilla's movie, but as soon as... Like, that first fight, I'm just like, hey, Godzilla, I know this is your movie, but you're just absolutely fucked. Like, there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) And again, that's just to establish how scary... I just forgot its name. What is its name? Ghidorah. Ghidorah. How scary Ghidorah is. That that. it can just totally obliterate. Ghidorah might be right. I've always said Ghidorah, though. And I'm not changing now, not for nobody. Okay. Dragon Man. <laughs> like, it's just to prove how strong Dragon Man is and how, like, small Godzilla seems after he's been so big the whole movie. And it's really effective at that. I just think it's funny. <laughs> right, yeah. I gotta say, though, as for all the, the kaiju in this movie, I'm a huge fan of, like, the character design. Um, oh, yeah. With the exception of Ghidorah. I feel like Ghidorah is just a little bit generic dragon-y. Yeah, well, because uh, that one research lady, she has that line where she's like, there's no stories or drawings or anything about it. It's almost like they were scared to write it down. Right. And then you see it, and it's just like a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> or a hydra, if you want to get really specific. And it's right. like, uh, we all know what that is. Yeah, those are the things from folklore that we've all heard of. Yeah. There's, if you um, want to say that they didn't want to write about Godzilla, I'd be like, yeah, I haven't seen anything like Godzilla except right. for Godzilla. <laughs> Can we talk about the whole weird hollow earth thing that Bradley Whitford keeps talking about? That they keep talking about? Cause that's what the underwater city is, right? That's the hollow earth. Yeah, yeah they, I think so. They because kind of he refer keeps... to it, they refer to it like, I... I don't know if you guys read some of like the headlines and like the end credits basically right yeah um, but there's like i remember I, I watched i watched them last night and there was this one that talked about um how after all of it like they start to like i think monarch starts to try to explore that like hollow earth civilization right. or something yeah. like that um 
But yeah, yeah, that, but that one guy is just like obsessed with it the whole time. Right. Like, yeah, but, he's like, I told you, I told you the earth was hollow. Yeah, but it's just this weird thing that like doesn't quite make sense. And he's just like, the earth is hollow and Godzilla's using these underwater tunnels to go around in the hollow earth. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, that doesn't mean anything yeah. to me. But then he's right. And you're like, that's fine. <laughs> right. Well, that hollow earth thing is also so weird because we've been so like based in reality we've been like all of these ancient societies that have these stories of monsters the the monsters are actually just these kaiju and they're coming back and you're like okay i can believe that in this fantasy setting but then when you get to the underwater city that's not based in anything right you're like oh they just hung out with the kaiju they were best friends it just like totally takes me out of all the world building we've done i'm just like okay that all right and it's like i don't think they're trying to say that like the earth is hollow like there's the crust and then there's just like this big empty space in the middle you know? cool water. i think they're just being like weirdly poetic about the fact that there's a whole bunch of tunnels underwater we didn't know about i don't know yeah it's I think so just the term it's so hollow weird. earth is really cool right and it's like but it's so weirdly specific it feels like a reference to something it might be something in like the old school godzilla movies about the hollow earth that i'm not picking up on because, like, they they use the phrase Hollow Earth like it's got capital letters around it, and it feels like it's yeah. making reference to something I don't understand. I would have absolutely no idea. <laughs> right. I guess kind of in the whole, um, you know, opposition of, like, Godzilla and King Kong, it's sort of like showing, oh, he had kind of a society, too. I don't know. I guess it's not really quite uh, consistent with Skull Island. I guess it would be more with Peter Jackson's. Um, King Kong, that whole idea of like the the people that sort of coexisted and uh, lived with it in a very specific way, right? Maybe that's yeah, the big twist know. for Godzilla versus Kong is that Peter Jackson's King Kong and <laughs> Jordan Vogt Roberts King Kong team up, and it's yeah. two King Kongs versus Godzilla. Then I think they've got a chance. Adeline, your thoughts? Yeah. Two King Kongs versus Godzilla, because then the King Kongs could do that thing where one bends down behind him and the other one pushes him and he falls over. <laughs> like, they could do, like, combos like that. But, but and, like, Godzilla's got a tail. You can't push him over backwards. It would, that's what yeah, tails are for. It's decorative. <laughs> he doesn't use that tail for anything. What if we get to Godzilla versus Kong and they just decided to revert back to, like, the stop-motion Godzilla from the 30s? Do you mean the stop-motion King Kong? That's, yeah, that's, of course that's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I think there was, there probably was one fight, maybe he just didn't use it enough. I do remember, though, there was, like, one Ghidorah fight where he, uh, where he, um, tail whipped it. Probably. Oh. <laughs> I just don't the... remember when it was. It was either in right. the Arctic, it was maybe in Boston, I'm not sure. And, like, the thing that I really, really like about this movie, like, one of the things that I think it does really well is that the kaiju, like, there's a true sense of, like, mass to them, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, you can super, like, feel how big and scary and dangerous they are. This is something that I feel like Pacific Rim never quite totally got. Like, maybe it's just a difference... I guess it's just a difference in the animation. Because, like, to me, Pacific Mm -hmm. Rim... And I guess the kaiju in Pacific Rim weren't as big as they are in this movie. But, no, they're not. They were kind of like big dinosaur sized. Yeah, but regardless, I feel like the just something in the animation, and it could just be like a improving VFX technology thing. 
but like that's sort of part of what made uh, Pacific Rim not super impressive to me was that the fact like the kaijus just still kind of felt like big CG things, you know? Yeah. And that's like one of the most famous like techniques of Pacific Rim is they had this they sort of they filmed the monsters as if they were filming real things and like the camera would like have some trouble focusing on them because they were so big and far away and like yeah. the camera was always like on the ground and like a little bit closer to the monsters than what you would really want because like practically that's just what it would kind of look like and so yeah. you never like quite get the whole monster in the screen at one time to like make it feel really oppressive you know yeah. Which is, like, all cool on paper, but in execution it was just kind of frustrating to watch, if you ask me. I mean, yeah. Um, and I feel like this movie has kind of a happy medium, because... Of not showing you the monster, but still showing you the monster. Yeah, but, it's like... It's always behind a big decorative cloud. <laughs> right. But behind that cloud is the whole monster. Right. But I mean, just, like, in terms of, like, the practicality of the camera, quote-unquote, for these big, mm-hmm. like, VFX shots... Like, I feel like the the opposite end of the spectrum is, like, Spider-Man, right? Where the camera is just, like, he's swinging through the city, and the camera, like, follows him, and it, like, goes underneath him and all around, and the camera just does yeah. whatever the fuck it wants, because it's in a computer, it's, and it's not a real camera. You know that it's absolutely all animated. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, sometimes that works. Like, in Spider-Man, it's, like, this big, fantastical yeah. sort of thing. So the camera just going crazy like that is, like, kind of fun and cool. Like, it's part of the, the tone of the movie, you know? Yeah. And then, like, on the opposite side is, like, Pacific Rim, where they've got this, like, slavish devotion to, like, only doing what you would have been able to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this movie has, like, a happy medium between the two, where it's, like, it's never quite, like, zipping all around Godzilla and doing all this crazy stuff, but it's still, like, more or less sort of shot from the ground, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or if it's not, it's, like a really simple shot from midair that you could have gotten with, like, a helicopter or something. Yeah. But it's also got, like, an appropriate distance to it so that you have, like, a very clear sense of, like, the whole thing. Like, you can see the whole scene at any given time, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what see, I think I was, about that. I was thinking... Well, because you were talking about how effective they are making them, like, seem so powerful. But, like, that shot where Rodan, like, takes off after the plane. Oh, and yeah. And you just see, like, the tailwind of it yeah. taking off. Just, like, totally obliterate the town. Like, That's that was super cool. That's favorite fucking shot in the movie. That rules. Yeah. It is just, like, and the- I have written down just, like, the way that Rodan flies is so cool to watch, super too. Cool. Because he hardly ever, like, flaps his wings, you know? He's mostly just gliding around because he weighs, like, 400 tons and he's just, yeah. like, doing Ten his thing. billion tons, yeah. But, like, just okay. the way that he's animated and, like... They, I don't remember what movie it was that we were talking about this. Or it was How to Train Your Dragon. Um, because we said, like, the big dragon at the end, like, in the animation, this last dragon is, like, so huge and giant and it's got these wings, but it's still, like... It had so much weight to it that you didn't quite buy that it was really flying, you know? Yeah. But I feel like Rodan was, like, perfect. Like, they made it they made it feel real, and the way that it moved felt really, really natural in, like, the laws of physics that we observe in our life, you know? I thought it was incredible. Yeah. I think the, just, like, the overall design of Godzilla is kind of weird, and I think it all stems from the fact that, like, Originally, it had to just be a guy in a suit. But <laughs> right, like, yeah. Well, it's just like, he Godzilla doesn't look like 
a dragon. And I mean, that's basically what he is. Like, he's a big dinosaur dragon. Right. But, like, just, like, talking about, like, a dragon man's design and how he seems, like, too cliche. Like, Godzilla only looks like Godzilla, and that's cool. But at the same time, he is kind of... He's always been a kind of, like, a chunky dude with little arms. And I think it's... <laughs> right. Like, in the modern era, I feel like they've done an effective job. Honestly, I think it's just making him bigger. But, like, yeah. of making him seem more like an actual thing like an actual animal that could move and behave a certain way mm-hmm. and i think they do that really well and at the end of the movie when they revive him with that nuclear bomb which is a really fun concept right but where he like starts like staring at people and making like the angry eyebrows expression where he <laughs> right. kind of he got he got a little doofy like he became like <laughs> oh here's our pal godzilla like right. i feel like we went backwards a little bit towards guy in a suit Godzilla, you know? Right. The, um, and yeah, I don't know. And it's just, there's a weird balance with like the level of humanity in these because like Godzilla definitely feels like more of a guy than like any of the other ones. Yeah. He's just our pal. Um, cause yeah, none of the other ones like really emote besides like maybe one of them's a big weird spider. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Besides maybe the most emotive shot I can think of is, when one of the Gittera heads is trying to, like, eat a car or something, and the other one's like, hey, fucking knock it off. Yeah. That's, like, the closest thing to, like, human emotion I can think of. And then Godzilla has got, like, really emotive eyebrows, and, like... Yeah. It's just... <laughs> it's one away from, like, the... <laughs> like... I'm trying to, like, in Jurassic World, where the dinosaurs are, like, super pally with all the people. It's not quite yeah. that bad, but it's, like, that same sort of ballpark. It's like you want him to just, like, wink at somebody at the end before he, like, goes back into the ocean. (laughs) Well, and it's... They make him so smart and, like, emotionally responsive that, like, Mm -hmm. I... It... I want there to be more plot to the monster fight section, you know? Like, I want the relationship between the kaiju... And we we do kind of get that where it's like oh whoever's the alpha kind of controls what the others do, but they don't treat it like actual social interactions. They right. just treat it as this weird like magic aura that like oh he's <laughs> right he's big and strong. So the other ones are doing uh, evil stuff, but when our good friend Godzilla's big and strong, they'll start doing cool stuff. Right. Like I kind of want it to like. Especially because they call them the king of the monsters. It's like, I kind of want it to turn into, like, Planet of the Apes, where we get, like, that political <laughs> intrigue of the monsters, you know? Like, I want I want some, like, story to be happening with, like, the kaiju that's just, like, kaiju-centric. Right. But we have, we don't do that, and I'm, I'm upset about it. <laughs> that could be kind of cool if you could detail, like, the different kaiju, like, their alliances changing throughout yeah. it. Well, because they kind of did talk about that in the newspapers, too, because they talk about, like, like, Godzilla keeping the other kaiju in check because he's our big lizard buddy. And so, like, there are, there still are attacks, like we talked about, Uh but it's, Godzilla's just there to protect us. So, like, there is some, like, kind of social hierarchy going on, and I would love to talk about it. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll come up in Godzilla v. Kong. Yeah, maybe King Kong is actually just Caesar from Planet of the Apes. So yeah, here's the other question. How's King Kong going to fight Godzilla when King Kong's got a bazillion monster friends? Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know how King Kong thinks he's going to win this fight. I don't know why he's starting a fight with Godzilla. This Godzilla is the king of the monsters. And King Kong, and King Kong is Kong just a big monkey. 
is king of picking up a lady that one time and then dying on top of the New York State <laughs> Building. Uh, yes, my favorite part of the New York skyline, the New York State Building. What is, what is the Empire State <laughs> Building? Whatever. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, I don't live there. Also, I feel like we're kind of jumping around. This is just what I'm looking at in my notes. I mean, yeah. That shot where Rodan's coming out of the volcano and there's, yeah. like, the big cross in the foreground is super fucking powerful. Like, uh, that's... Did you like that? Yeah. Oh, did you not? I mean, look, it's totally ham-fisted and super, like, yeah. goofy. But it, like, it does what it wants you to do, right? It's just, like, yeah. it's sort of, it just makes our puny human religion look sort of, like, odd in comparison to this giant yeah. fucking dinosaur coming out of a volcano. Well, they keep talking about that, about, like, how the kaiju are, like, the original gods. Right. And they keep saying that without... <laughs> They keep this movie says things without actually talking about it, and yeah. I think that's why it's so frustrating and why all the information that they tell me just like goes in one ear and goes out the other, because they just say things and they don't actually talk about it or expound on that idea. Mm-hmm. So they're like, "Oh, the kaiju were the old gods because they would like protect the people and they had relationships and blah blah blah," and like that's a cool concept. That's a cool thing to talk about. Like that's like a religious like conversation to have. Uh, we're not gonna have it though. <laughs> right. We're just gonna go to the underwater city and be like, "Oh, these people were cool." <laughs> you have any thoughts on the uh, religious symbolism in this movie, Elin? Um, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it is. I think it is an interesting thing to play with. Uh, you know, the idea that also kind of that orca kind of uh, is a bit of a symbol for humans trying to like play god with gods um, <laughs> right or try you know try to insert themselves into you know the um the natural order and stuff like that um yeah i mean i think that uh one of the interesting things that this movie sort of probably at least for me gets the closest to being resonant with is kind of that struggle with like humans and what they do you know, with the planet and how negligent they can be. And so I do think that it was interesting because I feel like the the film was almost exploring kind of that nihilistic perspective that I feel like a lot right. of people are feeling right now about, mm-hmm. about like, climate change and stuff like that. Or kind of, like, the idea that, you know, there's really nothing we can do, probably, you know, where it's not, like, we're not going to be able, or whatever we want to do, we're not going to be able to do it in time. Right. Um, so we should just get Godzilla to fix it. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like outside of, like, like just in the world today, I feel like with, I feel like now that we have, like, a, a more definitive sort of timeline of how we want to ideally, like, go forward with it, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's, a, there's just, like, the, kind of this pessimism of, like, gosh, I wish that could be so, but I don't, I don't think we're going to do it. <laughs> right. You know? And so I think in this in this world where there is kind of this nuclear option to explore, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to yeah. to sort of play with. Of like, you know, we can't really do it. We we're kind of we we're kind of failures. We don't really deserve to keep calling the shots. So we have to do this, and pretty much like try to just um, look at life itself as a as a thing to save, like for just like the future in general. Whether right. that heavily involves humans or not. 
And that's the weird thing about this movie is like, because it's it's like a classic sort of like good versus evil sort of setup, right? It's like, oh, this villain like sees this thing in the world and wants to take this really violent option in order to fix it. But, you know, typically what you do in those kinds of situations, it's like, you know, like Infinity War, where Thanos is like, oh, everything's so horrible, I want to kill half of all life and it'll all be better. Mm-hmm. Like, what they don't do, though, is establish that our protagonists have faith that humans can do it themselves, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know, you don't, like, set up a real... Basically, the weirdest thing about this movie is you don't really know what the protagonists actually want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just all part of, like, saying things without talking about it. It's like, they want to have this conversation about climate change and, like, how few options we have and how there there is that kind of mentality of, like, well, what if we just blow up everything? Like, we would be so much better off without humans. Right. And... As a human, we want to protect other humans. Where it's like, well, that's evil because you would kill a lot of people. Like, they want to have that conversation. Yeah. But then Godzilla shows up. And it's like, well, even... It's just the metaphor breaks down with the with the kaiju. Because you have, you, <laughs> you have all of those things that could happen. And they all suck. So it's like, no matter what we do here, some humans are going to die. It's like... It's just like the metaphor just kind of falls apart with right, the yeah. kaiju. I'm also... Just next thing I've written down... Um, I think Gitarra should have just lost a head. Yeah, that it, was stupid. It would have been much cooler if Gitarra just only had two heads the rest of the movie. Like, I mean, yeah. I get that they want him to be powerful and for the climax to really feel like something that is going to take a lot out of Godzilla. So they yeah. want to make him seem as possible as or as powerful as possible before that. I still think mm-hmm. it would have been cool if Gitarra just only had two heads and had like a gross stump of a head the rest of the movie. That would have kicked ass. Yeah. That would have been great. But no. <laughs> my favorite my favorite line in this whole movie is um when like Godzilla's like dead and way underwater and they're like trying to figure out how they're gonna revive him, like they know they wanna blow up a bomb. And there's yeah. this line where Bradley Whitford like explains to Ken Watanabe why blowing up an atom bomb in front of you would kill you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, No, if the heat doesn't get you the radiation well. I was like yeah, it's an atomic bomb, Bradley. Yeah. Like, why well, did that, you... In that... <laughs> well, in that scene, too, because I keep talking about the reason that, like, stuff grows where the kaiju destroys stuff is because of the radiation, which I I don't know if that's how that works, but I'll just say sure. <laughs> but, and then he has that line when they're getting to where Godzilla is sleeping, and he's like, we're going to stop here because the radiation's too high, and I still want to have kids. It's like, it's buddy, brief. I don't think anyone on the planet's having kids after this movie. <laughs> How much so... goddamn radiation happens. Yeah, it's so radioactive, it's killing our robots. Yeah, sure, whatever, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, I just finished watching uh, Chernobyl on HBO, so it was interesting to watch kind of this and think about you know that the, you know, those concepts of radiation after something like that it was interesting um yeah i have no idea if that's how it works either um <laughs> well i mean it doesn't make plants grow if that's what you mean <laughs> that's not what happened at chernobyl no no well if anything it would it, it, any life that would grow would be like kind of infected right yeah you know anything that would grow would kind of carry some of that radiation and like 
I don't think this, those places would be very habitable. How wait? How habitable is Boston after all of that just happened? Oh, after uh, it's not super super <laughs> nuclear. Godzilla was there. Probably not. Yeah, Boston is just not there anymore, dog. Yeah, Godzilla so, exploded with radiation. <laughs> wait, okay, that's the question I do have because when I was watching this, I was trying to track that progression and see if it made sense. So when Bradley Whitford was saying, "Oh, the six minutes till he explodes." Um, did he just give off all that excess energy when he, like, fell from the sky or something? No, he, he never exploded really again exploded. afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. I don't think so. I think he just got super, super, like, you know, overheated radioactive, which is how he killed uh, Ghidorah, but, like, I don't think I ever saw him explode other than, like, when he, you know, hit Earth after that fall. No, no, he does explode, so, because there's that shot I yeah. really remember of Ghidorah, like, being totally blasted to pieces and trying to, like, cover himself with his wings. Yeah. Well, no, what happens is that Ghidorah takes him into the sky and drops him, and there's kind of a big explosion just because it's Godzilla being dropped like a meteorite, which <laughs> right. is also very cool. Yeah, it fucking rules. And then, and then Ghidorah starts, like, tearing him apart, and that's super cool. And then the lady gets in her car with the Echo, and, uh, again, is the good guy, even though the movie hates her, <laughs> and she drives Ghidorah away. And then that's when Godzilla stands up and he's just got radiation oozing out of his eyeballs. Uh, and then he kills Ghidorah and that explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, I think there's so many great gags in this like last bit. I just, I made a little list of the ones I wanted to touch on. Um, when Ghidorah uh, like chomps onto that power plant and like a whole bunch of lightning comes out of his wings. That rules. Oh, yeah. Um, that was dope as hell. There's that bit where Millie Bobby Brown is running around and she, like, goes into her old house. I guess they lived in Boston, but neither of them live there anymore, so I don't know why there's still a house there with their stuff in it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She goes back to her house and you can just see, like, the light and the sound from the kaiju battle coming into their house. Rules. Super good. Um, Super good. Except they only have one picture of their family. <laughs> And it breaks in that scene, and you're like, okay. Um, when Ghidorah takes Godzilla up into the sky and drops him down to Earth, and he, like, catches fire like a meteorite, yeah. rules. It's dope. And the last thing is, like, when Godzilla goes, like, super nuclear, and, like, everything yeah. around him is just, like, melting, melting and catching on fire as he walks. Goes super saiyan. It's so cool. Like, there's so much cool stuff at the end of this movie. Yeah. And it's just... This movie's... This movie's so weird, because, like, the strongest part of it is the kaiju, but at the same time, the kaiju also kind of break down everything that they're trying to do, so yeah. it's, like, it's the strongest part of the movie, but it's also the weakest part of the movie, and yeah. I think it's because they can't decide what kind of movie they want to be. Yeah, and I don't know, and it's just so weird, because, like, I mean, I don't know, just like I said, it, the script is just, like, fundamentally misguided. You yeah. just, like, clearly they were like, here's our number one priority, big, cool action set pieces. That's what we want yeah. the most out of this. And instead of, like, here's what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you could have, they only had so much energy to put into the rest of the movie, right? You could have picked a much simpler story and done that decently, and it would have been great. But instead, oh, yeah. what they did is they took, like, a big, complicated, nuanced story and just did a bad job at it. <laughs> yeah. This movie is long. It's two hours long. But, yeah. like, like it's because a lot of m movies like this, it's like, 
you, like it's you do the whole big human story and then like the last 30 minutes is the big Godzilla fight and that's the movie mm-hmm. but this one kind of had so many monster fights and so many human stories that like by the time that Millie Bobby Brown is like escaping and going to the Red Sox stadium like that felt like the end of the movie so much that I paused and was like surprised to see that there was still an hour left and I was <laughs> right. like oh man this is a long movie <laughs> I think this is my my forever statement on how long movies should be. Every movie should be between 90 minutes and two hours. Unless you have a really good reason, then it should be between two and a half and three hours. That middle of the road between two and two and a half hours, no good. Nobody should live there. That should never happen. And so many movies are there. Exactly. That's exactly where too many big, at least big blockbuster movies live in that zone. Because under two hours, it's like fine. You don't get antsy. But when you get like longer than like two and a half hours, then you're sort of aware of it, right? At least you like know going in. It's like going to be longer and that's fine and I'm going to be part of this and I know it's going to like be this big thing. Once you hit, like, that two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, 20 minute zone, you hit that two hour mark and you're just like, mm-mm, nope. Are we done yet? (laughs) Yeah, we're done now. This isn't happening anymore. I think that just comes from the movie theater business where it's like, we want you to sit down and watch a movie. That thought meant nothing. You can just cut that out. I thought I had a thought, and it totally just disintegrated as I started talking. Were you trying to say that you think movies are longer because movie theaters want you to stay inside their building longer? Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, they want... Like, whatever, like, the ratio is to, like, how long a movie is, like, to the ticket price, or, like, whatever that margin of, like, profit is or whatever... I, this this still isn't a point. Yeah, not really, because out. if you have small, if you have shorter movies, you can charge the same amount for them, and you can show them more often. So if anything, yeah, so. movie theaters would probably be pushing for shorter movies. Yeah, so I didn't even have a point. <laughs> so you could just edit that out. I don't know what that was. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting, though, that there is sort of this narrative of like, oh, all these big movies are so long nowadays, when like really they aren't as long as they used to be. Have you watched an old movie? They have literal intermissions. (laughs) Right. But, like, my... More of what I'm trying to say is, like, the three-hour movie isn't really a thing anymore. Like, Endgame was three hours long, and Infinity War was, like, 240. Um, But outside of that, there hasn't really been anything in the last, like, five years that's, like, the really long three-hour epic, you know? How how long were the Hobbit movies? I felt like those were pretty long. Oh, maybe those were pretty long. Um, those got there, yeah. I'm gonna check. I'm pretty sure that there was a um, there was a Martin Scorsese movie uh, in the last couple of years called Silence. I think that I think got to close to three hours. Right. Okay, the first Hobbit was 169 minutes. That's almost three hours. Yeah. It's ten minutes shy. Um, the, actually, It Chapter 2 is really close to three hours also, oh, which yeah, I wasn't expecting. Sense, but um, I'm trying to think. But yeah, it's just like it's not as common of an occurrence as it used to be, you know? And yeah. usually it's just Peter Jackson doing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just Peter Jackson. God. Because <laughs> when I think of when I think of those big, long movies... In the modern day, I think of Lord of the Rings, I think of King Kong, and I think of The Hobbit. And it's like, outside of that, like, Endgame, 
Um, Peter Jackson had no right making the King Kong movie that long because the original one is like ninety minutes tops. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, we find the big monkey. Big monkey scary. We bring the big monkey home. Big monkey dies. Like, that's the whole movie. That's... And Peter Jackson is like, oh. Let me work my sinister magic. That's like the most condescending, reductive thing to say about a movie. <laughs> what? Oh, then go to an island and find a big monkey. Big fucking deal. Who cares? <laughs> That's the movie, though. They throw a bunch of ragdolls around. They bring the big monkey home. Big monkey escapes. Big monkey dies on top of the Empire State Building. So yeah, all of the Hobbit movies are under three hours, but they're all over two and a half oh. hours. They all feel like four hours. Yeah, because they're just not really that good. If they were like, okay, you know what? If the Hobbit movies were like an hour and 45 minutes, I think they would be They'd pretty be good. Great. Well, because I really... The, the, I'm going to talk about the Hobbit for a minute. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I really enjoy just like being inside of the world of Lord of the Rings with lower stakes. Yeah. Because the whole, the point of the Lord of the Rings is that it's a beautiful world that's being destroyed and that's like sad and that's where the drama comes from. So in the like in the first Hobbit where you get to just like be in the Shire, just hang out with the dwarves and Bilbo and like walk through nature and like fight giants. Right. Like, that's super fun. I love that. Like that's a fun quest. But then the, the Hobbit movies made the mistake of they made the stakes too high. Right. And it wasn't fun anymore. Like with the whole five armies and stuff and i know that's in the original books but like it the, the stakes were just too high especially because they started introducing sauron in that movie it's the stakes just got too high too fast so like the fun adventure that we were having like stopped being fun it became a serious adventure right you know? have you heard that what do you think Adeline, about the new lord of the rings tv show that's coming out on amazon uh i don't know i'm happy that they're having black elves i think that's really cool <laughs> That's Has literally anybody... the only thing I've heard about it, and that's the only opinion I have yeah. about it, is that they were going to have Black Elves, and I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, I've heard it's an original story. It's not an adaptation I... of the books. See, what people need to realize about fantasy is that we... Like... Serious fantasy has been, like, what's taken over, like, the fantasy genre has been, like, serious fantasy with, like, world stakes and grand evils. And that's a part of it, but, like, I want to be in a world that I enjoy and have fun in that world. And there still needs to be stakes, and they can be serious stakes, but, like, I want to enjoy my stay in that world, you know? Right. Like, I want... I want it to be a Lord of the Rings franchise where we can have fun and not have all of the lore of Lord of the Rings dragging us down, you know? Yeah. Okay. J.R.R. Tolkien, bless his heart, made everyone think that they had to write down every goddamn minute of their fantasy world. Right. And they just... It's, <laughs> so here's... I'm looking at this article that's like everything we know about this TV show. Um <laughs> Apparently, the budget for the first season is going to be $250 million, oh. which is huge for television. That's yeah, insane. It better be gorgeous. Um, and it says that they've committed to producing at least five seasons. Okay. Um, it's going to be an original story. And Are they talking to Tolkien's sons about it? No, because as far as I can tell, they hate everything. 
Okay. Um, they've been like super public about how much they hate the original Lord of the Rings movies too. Um, oh, okay. So we're not going to talk to them anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to figure out if it's part of the same continuity or if it's its own thing. I mean, if it has elves in it, it has to be before the last Lord of the Rings movie. Right. All and yeah, it does say that, but I don't know if it's supposed to be like, oh, this is an extension of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, or if it's like just totally its own thing. Like, like its if it'll... own Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I wonder how much it'll borrow from like the aesthetic of those movies, or if it'll just totally be on its own. I thought I had heard that it was like, I think I, I had heard like that it was going the adaptation route, but that's, yeah, that's good. It's good to hear new information. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to, I'm not super well-versed in Lord of the Rings stuff, but I, th- I think I remember hearing that they were going to kind of do, um, like a story arc from like the second age or something like that. Right. Cause you have the, like the Silmarillion and like all those little stories that they published after Tolkien died. Right. And yeah, and I think that sort of just speaks to like the, the attitudes that people have about adaptations, which is like, you know, cause for so long, especially when the Hobbit movies were coming out everyone was, like, really upset about the fact that they were just making stuff up, you know? Like, it's not true to Tolkien's original work because you're not just pulling stuff from there, you're writing your own stuff, too. And how could that ever be as good as anything Tolkien ever came up with? Because he's a legend and a god and perfect. Um, But it's just, like, there's also... There's so much of adaptation where you do have to make up your own stuff and a lot of that is really good and I'm glad that people aren't really upset about the fact that we're just writing a new Lord of the Rings story because like obviously like Tolkien's original work will stand on its own like forever but I don't think I don't think we should be like people love this world and people want more of it and I don't think we should be like beholden to the same I don't know thousand pages of content for this like idea forever you know and like what i know of tolkien like i feel like he would be kind of super happy that people were just like writing their own stories like he just seems like that kind of dude to me you know yeah also apparently um i don't know it cracks me up because like stan lee himself was always really excited about the marvel movies like he was really happy and excited that these kinds of things were happening um, mm-hmm. But his daughter came out recently and was like, fuck Marvel Studios. They are such a disgrace to everything that my father stood for or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, okay. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe pe- I think kids take their parents a lot more seriously than parents take themselves. <laughs> right, you know? yeah, maybe. They're like, that's my dad! And then the dad's like, this is cool, I like this. Right. I read something uh, when Marvel was doing a whole bunch of their, like, Stan Lee tribute stuff. Somebody mm-hmm. wrote a little story, one of the writers, about how when they met Stan Lee, it was, like, right after Winter Soldier had come out. And he was, like, really upset that he couldn't see Winter Soldier because his eyesight was really bad. And that made me oh, really yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a, I don't know, like a sweet story, but also slightly a bummer. I don't know. I think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think Godzilla. About Stanley a lot. Um, this podcast is about Godzilla. Um, <laughs> it was. The, the, um, I don't have a whole lot more written down. One of the other things I wrote was just that, like, Mothra is a weird idea because bugs just seem too fragile to me. 
Yeah, especially when she's fighting a fire pterodactyl. Like, of course yeah. she's gonna lose. And it's like, even like old school, it's just like giant bug versus like anything. I'm just like, the other thing's probably gonna win though, because bugs are not known for their enduring, their endurance and like yeah. ability well, to stand up to harm. Yeah, it's just they're super spooky. Like, nobody likes bugs, and so when you make a bug right. really big, it's, like, scary. And I get that, and I feel that, because I hate bugs. Right. But, like, uh, if you shoot a bug, it dies. <laughs> right. But Mothra's Sorry. not even scary in this movie. They... No, she's kind of, like, nice and pretty. Right. Like, we have that, like, whole, like, how to train your dragon moment where Billy Bobby Brown, like, pets her. It's, like, right. she's not... She also does nothing in this movie. Yeah. Like, sorry. And it's so she weird doesn't. because, like, they treat Mothra with this super weird, like, reverence. Like, every time she shows up, it's like everything stops and, like, the yeah, air oh, gets the sucked queen out of the, of the monsters. Yeah, and it's like she comes down from the sky in this light, and you're just like, okay, why are you. She doesn't even do anything to save her husband, Godzilla. She just, like, <laughs> shows up. Right. And then gets murdered. And then and then Godzilla's not even sad about it. Right. <laughs> I also, I appreciate that they took Rodan in this movie and made yeah. him cool. Because yeah. Rodan was probably the least cool kaiju that existed before. Because he was just like a pterodactyl. Just a big pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah. But then they were like, oh, what if he was like a volcano guy with fire wings? And now I'm like, fuck and yeah. And that was cool. That was super cool. I appreciate them like taking some creative liberties with Rodan, because Rodan yeah. sucks. You can put that on the record. Um, wow. Yeah, Wait, anybody... Did Mothra not sacrifice herself for Godzilla? No. In the end? I mean, she distracted that's, that's Rodan. Right? I mean, yeah, she fights Rodan, but I didn't see that as... I mean, look, well, if Godzilla were fighting Ghidorah and Rodan at the same time, he probably wouldn't have won, right? Yeah. No, I mean, like, when when uh, when Mothra, like, shows up and, like, uses her wings to shield Godzilla from the uh, Ghidorah blast, and then she dies, and then it, look, it looks like some kind of aura or some kind of energy from her, like, goes into... Oh, that's right! Godzilla... Like that's kind of what I remembered. I, yeah. It, maybe it didn't make it super clear, like how that. Yeah, impacts. I have no memory of this happening. No, I do remember. I Godzilla, do remember yeah. like a whole bunch of pollen coming out of Mothra, <laughs> and like yeah, alighting yeah. on Godzilla, and then he like gets back up or something. Yeah, something like that. At the very least, she shielded him from like, you know, getting yeah. a decidedly right. you know, decisive blast. You know it's what this is like? Kaiju magic. Right. Well, you know what this is like? The fact that we can't remember so much of what happens at the end of this movie, even though we all really love it, is um, there's that really great Lindsay Ellis series of videos where she does, like, a critical deconstruction of the Transformers movies. Um, that I she, think you talk about every single day of your yeah, life. Yeah, because it's really good. But she talks about yeah. how, like the, uh, like, the reason it's so hard to remember what happens in Transformers is because, like, it's shot in such a way in, like, Michael Bay's signature style, which is, like, every shot is designed to have maximum impact, regardless of what kind of shot it is or how important it is. So, like, <laughs> just in terms of how we read films, we see every single thing as exactly as important as everything else. So, like, the things that you need to know don't actually, like, stand out, you know? I feel like the last 20 minutes of this movie are sort of like that. Like, everything is so huge, colorful, in-your-face, like, giant monster action, and every moment is, like, milked 
for its like maximum spectacle that like the actual events kind of don't really stick with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because we we've, we've all been pretty confused about whether or not Godzilla exploded, whether or not Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> like sacrificed Dice. herself for Godzilla whether or not there was some pollen that alighted on Godzilla and brought him back to life maybe question mark um, <laughs> I got done watching this film I think about 10 minutes before we started recording so yeah <laughs> um, yeah so do you want to start wrapping it up I feel like we're kind of at the end of our this is what we had to say end of our rope here uh, the only thing I would add um I think there was a there was a tangent earlier about favorite shots. I think my favorite shot from this is probably the uh, the really beautiful wide shot in Antarctica with uh, with um, with Godzilla and Ghidorah, like their silhouettes. Um, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember I saw that I saw a sneak peek um, on HBO of King of the Monsters before it came out, and then right. when I went to see when I went to see um, Endgame and IMAX, they showed the same. Uh, clip and that and they included that like um, build up sequence in the Arctic. Right. And I just remember seeing that, seeing it again in IMAX was just incredible. Yeah. No, but, I yeah. stand by that. The Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer that's like set to Claire de Lune is probably the best trailer in the of the 21st century. It's so fucking good. What about the Detective Pikachu one? To I need a hero. That is not really about? even that good, Adeline. Is I like it. <laughs> I would yeah, say I that the... that Mission Impossible Fallout trailer that we spent like eight months watching because it came out like way before the movie came out. Oh um, yeah, that one's fucking it was great. Way better than the movie was. That's not even true, Adeline. You haven't even seen it. You're right. Mission Impossible Fallout's like one of my favorite movies of the last two years. So why don't you shut your goddamn <laughs> mouth and stop talking about things you don't know anything about? Um, (laughs) No, you should see it for sure. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's a great trailer. Well, now I've been turned off to it because Jackson just yelled at me. Tom Cruise jumps out of an airplane, Adeline. He does that for real. (laughs) Um, It's got that shirt that you can't buy in it. (laughs) No, that's the other one. That's Rogue Nation. Um, Tom Cruise wears a shirt that Jackson really wants. That's the end of the story. He wears that, like, lizard skin shirt in Rogue Nation, and I want that shirt. Anyway, um... The, but yeah, the Mission Impossible trailer and that Godzilla trailer. I'm trying to think of other really great trailers from the last few years. Um, yeah, I don't know if any other ones really stand out. Those two for sure are like among my favorites ever. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think yeah, that's why the and yeah, the movie kind of let me down because I think the trailers really kind of got me in this um, sort of emotional place about it. It was like, oh, this is has some really unique potential. Right. Like I hope they build off of, you know, what I liked so much about the last one with just, you know, bigger bigger scope and everything. Um I don't know, just kind of quick thoughts. How would you how would you fix this movie? I think I mean I kinda of said it at the beginning. I think I would just pretty much cut out like ninety percent of like the characters, basically. I would just make it, it's just like, oh, here are some good guys at Monarch. They want to, like, respect the kaiju and, like, live in harmony with them and think that humans can be 
like live in harmony with them. And then here's the bad guy. He's this evil British guy. Yeah, here's British guy. Can we also just note that British guy who just gives like the most like out off the wall performance in this movie as like evil yeah. British villain? I think that's so funny. I mean, um, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, but then I would think it's like, oh, and there's this other organization that just, like, wants to use kaiju as a weapon to destroy the world. And you just make it a little bit more simple like that. Be like, oh, we're supposed to live in harmony with the kaiju, not use them as tools of our own destruction or whatever. Um, and, like, make it really clear what the conflict really is. <laughs> like, there's mm-hmm. two sides. Here's how they feel about it. And the kaiju are just sort of stuck in the middle. Um and I think if you just do that, like, most of the, like, plot of this movie, quote-unquote, will pretty much flow the same way. You just, like, cut out, like, a whole bunch of bullshit that super doesn't work, you know? Yeah, it just needs to commit to being a kaiju movie. Like, just, <laughs> you're trying to have this complicated plot, and the complicated plot isn't working because of the kaiju, and the kaiju are the strongest part of the movie, so just, like, just let... Just let the kaiju be kaiju. Right. I just thought this other uh, question I had in my mind. Um, I feel like towards that, towards the end of the movie, like going into that um, third act, it's kind of like we get a little string of sacrifices, you know, because first we have uh, um, Dr. Shirozawa, and we have Mothra, and then we have Emma at the end. And I think Emma's at the very end was the only one where I was like... Was that necessary? Like, did she have to do right. that? Especially because she says, Log live the king right before she dies, and I didn't need that. <laughs> I understood I understood the motivation for that. I was just thinking of, like... I guess the only thing I thought of was, like, well, I guess if she gets in the chopper um, with them, then Ghidorah just flies after it and probably demolishes it. That was the only thing I could really think of to justify the sacrifice. Because otherwise, like, in the moment... I, it just wasn't. It didn't play as clearly to me. I had to think about it right. after the fact. Mm-hmm. Well, because she well, had the they, the machine. Mm-hmm. Well, if they just put the orca on the ground and then flew away, it would still be attracted to the orca, <laughs> right. and then it would Godzilla could still explode. Yeah, that was pretty much the point. They were just were they were trying to have Ghidorah not be, you know. Yeah. They wanted her. They wanted to onslaught. I mean, I think they just wanted to redeem her a little bit. They wanted her to be like, "Oh, I'm going to do this selfless she thing." She didn't and need to be redeemed because she wasn't in the wrong in the whole movie. Um, but well, I mean, kind of like not for no fault of her own. Like she she made a choice she thought was right, and then it just kind of backfired on her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so because and no because of, of the it's because of the purist that she is, she would want to make it right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess just what it is, is that it's just, like, it's not a clear... I mean, it's just... It's a symptom of the fact that everything in this movie just is so disconnected and doesn't really make sense in its own weird little world. Mm -hmm. That it's just, like, the fact that, like... I don't know. I feel like saying that, like... Oh, the this character like she was in the right. This whole thing—it's like not even really a discussion that's worth having because it's just like whatever they were actually trying to do was clearly not what actually happened. <laughs> like, yeah, they did. They didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah, she didn't have enough, which is also kind of weird. I guess she didn't have enough uh, research or information on Ghidorah to know what would have happened right. when they released it. I guess. <laughs> Maybe. 
Because also, um, like, the, the alien origins were so muddled. It was, like... It, that was another thing where they just kind of dropped it in there, like, oh, yeah, it's not yeah, obeying they just these say rules of nature because it. it's different. But then that would that would open up a whole kind of yeah. wormhole of, like, wait, <laughs> is there, like, intelligent life out there that can also keep falling from the sky? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Like, into our world? alien kaiju and that you're not even gonna talk about it i bet they will later gonna move on i bet king kong gets an alien army in godzilla versus kong and that's how he fights godzilla maybe it's not our king kong maybe it's an alien king kong whoa and there's three king kongs what if there are gorillas in space jackson what would you even do what would i do about it what would you do yeah um i would shoot a big bomb at them. Wait, are they attacking or are they just doing them? They just, like, other planet, all on its own, also made gorillas. Oh, I would probably not really do much of anything about that. I'd just let that yeah. be. What about but you? Wouldn't what that would be you do? weird? Wouldn't that be bonkers? <laughs> <laughs> so, Adeline. Yes. What would you do? I would be happy that there are more gorillas in the world because we're killing all of our gorillas. It's, but they're not in the world. But we could we could get them. But what about we that world? Big... Then that world wouldn't have any gorillas. Well, I want gorillas. I want all the gorillas for me. But Adeline, consider this. Uh-huh. What if they did that to you? How would you feel then? That would, that would be sad. What if this other planet that already had gorillas came to Earth and was like, we want your gorillas because we're running out? What would you do then? I would say, I would be like, hey, let's just make a gorilla planet that's just, like, only gorillas. So send both of the world's gorillas to another planet. Yeah, to a third world that we have dual custody (laughs) over. Okay, I feel like, I I think that's the right answer. (laughs) All right, great. Um, So do you guys want to get into our secondary things? Elon, I forgot to remind you, did you prep anything? Uh, No, actually, I didn't. Okay, that's cool. It's okay uh, because we've fine. been sort of reevaluating this segment in the first place anyway. Maybe we could do something different. Um, I mean, we already talked about the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's just do without for this episode. And then Adeline and I, you and I can have a discussion afterwards about what we want to do moving <laughs> we'll forward. We'll figure out what we're doing. <laughs> Uh, hey, you guys, do you guys want to hear a five-star review of Godzilla colon King of the Monsters? Yeah. This is, this is a review from Letterboxd user Rob Stoner, um, and he gives this movie five stars. He says, I love this movie so much that I want to edit 10 to 25 minutes out of it so others will get it too. Uh, (laughs) What? I love this movie so much that I want to edit 10 to 25 minutes out of it so others will get it too. I love this movie so much. I want to edit, all, edit out all the bad, dumb parts. Like, what? <laughs> My name's Jackson McMurray. My name's Ally McMurray. I'm Elon Hernandez. And this is No Nerds Allowed. I just... No, 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 it's allowed. I what? love this movie so much. I just wish it were about 30% better so everybody else would like it too. (laughs) I think maybe it's not a good movie at that point, maybe. (laughs) 